Hey everybody, this is Devin Boker. You're either listening to this um, on The Wildlife or on 500 Days Happier, which um, either place that you're listening to it, you're probably thinking, hey, what's what's that other thing? Because so far the two have not crossed paths. One of them has only been going for, well, this will be the ninth day, the other one for a few years. Um, it will make sense. <laughs> it's It's January 1st, you know this. Uh, 2020 is done. It is now 2021, January 1st, and um, the what I what I originally wrote out and and had planned to um, record on the 500 is happier side of things. I I thought I thought it could be relevant um, for the wildlife also, um, mainly because of this. Uh, there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make some references to metamorphosis, which sounds really cliche, um, and it is, but, but it's still a perspective and, and thoughts, uh, that since I'm putting out there, I thought, I thought I would share there too on the wildlife. Um, and then when I'm, when I'm done here this morning, um, at the tail end of this, if you are listening to this on the wildlife side of things, uh, you will get to listen to a rerun of an older episode we did. I believe it was 2019 with Dr. Martha Weiss um, discussing metamorphosis and metamorphosis as a metaphor, the biology of it, whether caterpillars remember, uh, a bunch of fun stuff. And if you're listening to it on the 500 Days Happier side of things, then I will put a link to that particular episode in the show notes. Either way, these these are my first written thoughts of 2021. My first recorded thoughts of 2021. And, um, you know, I, I feel obligated to make them count. Then again, I, I also have a hard time comprehending at least fully the intensity of which some look at like the transitioning of a calendar to be equivalent to that of a reset or a metamorphosis. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a coping thing um, with the stress that so many people have been stuck on this whole uh, 2020 is gone. Now it's 2021. We're moving on new, new year. Things are different. And really, I think we all deeply, truly know that it's it's more of a blending than a hard transition. Um, but anyway, it, to me, January 1st has always been just another day. It, another day in a string of days without any real added significance. Part part of why I, I think for myself, if, if I try to do things like say, oh, I've got this goal, right? I'm going to start this Monday, next week, next month on the 1st. Um, it's, it's more so likely that I'm procrastinating and I'm inevitably not going to accomplish whatever goal that might have been to begin with. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've definitely made New Year's resolutions in the past, but I also make them daily, hourly, weekly. Uh, I just don't usually call them resolutions, <laughs> at least typically. And it's just never really worked for me. And I know that's not the same for everybody. Um, some people have success doing it differently. I just, I just haven't. For me, th- there's no day like today, no moment like the present to just do the thing instead of planning to do it later. If I plan to do it later, my attention span or lack of motivation or uh, busy plate, it, something is going to ensure that the thing doesn't get done or is done very last minute in a stress out scramble that destroys my ability to enjoy the said thing. I feel like, at least for many, that the approach of a new year gives us two things. Number one, an excuse to postpone what we could begin now. And yet, number two, hope for new beginnings. You know, new year, new you, right? Yet, what's funny is that the you you want to be is already there today in this moment just because it's the start of a new calendar year doesn't mean that something within you has changed 
miraculously. If you're able to start something on the first, you're able to start something on a Monday, able to start doing something differently on, on some designated starting point, there's nothing magical that's happening. The ability to do so was in you to do now if it's in you to do later. As long as you desire to be someone else and set yourself goals in that mindset, you're, you're not going to be happy. There's no, there's no need for a new you. I, I want to bring this back a few days. Happiness is not a goalpost. You are amazing and beautiful the way that you are. You are who you are because of your life experiences. You are wise because of them. Your, your context is complex. And the truth is, as hard as it is to accept, you don't need to become a new you. Exercising more, getting in shape, stopping drinking, getting out more, all those things, those don't require a new you. They just require the you you are to either do or do not or somewhere in between. You know why? Because none of those things actually define who you are. They're just things you either do or do not. Changing what you do or do not isn't changing yourself. It's not creating a new you. Focusing on becoming a new you in order to accomplish your goals is like saying, remove my context, my past, my wisdom, my experience. Start me fresh with a whole new set of personality traits. And that's just silly. Work within your context. Don't focus on changing who you are. That's that's basically impossible. Change what you do or do not by either doing or not. That's it. And I know it sounds really simple and it's not as simple. But at the same time, it is. Just tap into your context. Tap into your motivations. Tap into who you are. Accept that person. Love that person. And only then are you truly going to change your habits and learn to be happy and grateful while doing so, not after. As long as you're happy and grateful on the other side of a goal, or at least you put happiness there, you're never going to reach it. And I know that sounds super depressing, but the contra to that is that you have this ability right here, right in front of you. It's not something that has to be chased. It's like the whole metaphor of the caterpillar and the butterfly. You know, everyone always talks about um, embracing the goo. You know, you've probably seen that on a thousand email chains this year. People talk about how a caterpillar dissolves into goo. It doesn't know that it's going to become a beautiful butterfly. And aside from the fact that that interpretation shows that people know very little about the behavior of the two, like for for me, I'd rather be a caterpillar. I mean, do you know what it's like to be a butterfly? It's actually pretty gross, kind of terrifying. Lots of poop involved in pee and blood and tears and rotting fruit. It's, it's just gross. Anyway, it misses the most important part. See, biologically, the caterpillar doesn't change completely and become something or someone else in fact you know their cocoon what people call a cocoon it's actually called a chrysalis you know it's it's not something that they make from their surroundings i mean for a long time i thought it might you know be like a, a leaf house or something like that it's it's actually something that lies beneath their skin they they shed their skin to reveal the chrysalis it was already there Better yet, many of the structures that are now identifiable as butterfly traits can be found lying in wait inside of the caterpillar or the basic framework for them. Things called imaginal disc. Those things are already exist. They're already there. They always have been. Many of the parts actually don't even dissolve. They just continue or they become slightly modified as the caterpillar transforms. It's more of a glow up than a complete change of who the butterfly is. What I'm trying to say is this. The butterfly was inside all along. The caterpillar didn't need to become something new. It's just unveiling what it's always been. So if anything, don't become a new you this year. 
Instead, learn to love and accept the you that you are. Everything else will follow. Before I ramble any further, um, I, I want to share. I want to share four little things. And so, if you're listening to this on the wildlife, um, this is something that I do. As of late, this is my ninth day of sharing four little things that I'm grateful for. Um, so here we go, number thirty-three. Um, you know, normally a lot of these are sound kind of jokey, and they're definitely little things or um, whatever. But uh, I'm, I'm going more basic today. I'm able-bodied. I mean, it, it might sound silly, but I'm I'm truly grateful that I can wake up and I can do the things that I want to do physically, with very few hangups. Like, of course, I want to be more in shape. I'm also in pretty good shape. I'm able to exercise. I'm able to do most things with very little pain. I I, I feel really fortunate that that's my reality. Number thirty-four. I'm a teacher. What matters more to me than anything is time with my kids, time with my wife. And and so I'm, I'm really grateful that I have summers and breaks and weekends and set weekday hours. And I've been on the other side of that, and it sucks, at least for what I value. My job allows me the time with my family that I value, and, and I feel very fortunate that that's my reality. 35, I have both healthy and unhealthy things to eat. (laughs) What I mean is I'm grateful that I have the choice and the access. Of course, I want to be and eat healthier, but the fact that I can and that I can also choose not to, it might not always be the best thing in the moment, but yet I feel fortunate that that's my reality. Number 36, my uncomfortable bed. I remember times with less, and even on mornings when I wake up feeling more unrested than not, I'm, I'm grateful that I have one. <laughs> and plus, I have like a weirdly absurd number of blankets. I, I don't know why, but I do. And I feel fortunate that that's my reality. I also want to share this before I step away for the day. Um, this year, I'm not making any New Year's resolutions. I don't want to define my year, my happiness, my progress by becoming something or someone I'm not. Instead, here's what I want to do. I want to define my year by the things that I value and I already hold dear. Not resolutions, but intentions. I'm turning inward to identify what I most value, and I'm saying them out loud to try and uh, live truer to myself rather than changing who that person is. If you're listening on the uh, the other side of things, you, you might know what these are already. They are the five ways to live a regret-free life that I've been mentioning so much lately. Number one, live a life true to yourself, not the life others expected of you. Number two, don't work so hard. Number three, have the courage to express your feelings. Number four, stay in touch with your friends. And number five, let yourself be happier. Forget new year, new me. This year, I want to be more of me. Again, if you're if you're listening to this on the wildlife side of things, please stick around. We're going to do a rerun of uh, the metamorphosis metaphor with Dr. Martha Weiss. Um, it's a great episode. It's definitely one of our older ones, but it's uh, it's become quite the classic. Um, otherwise, you know, I, I want to hear from you. Uh, what are your plans for the year? What ways um, do you want to live more true to yourself? What What are your strategies? Um, yeah, yeah. It, it would be nice to uh, to hear from the abyss rather than chatting into it at uh, eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, all right, take care. It's uh, January first, twenty twenty one. Let's make it a good one. You are listening to The Wildlife. Hello, everyone. Before we get started, and because this ties into today's theme, we wanted to take a moment to just say thanks. 
Thank you to those who have been with us since the beginning, and to those who have joined us along the way. This episode is the finale of our first season, and for the next couple of months, we will be stepping away to work on the next one. So far, this show has already undergone a lot of change. Mostly, hopefully, for the better. We started this thing with an idea, but no clear idea of where to take it, or even what we'd be doing for the next episode. Honestly, we both got some cheap mics, some free programming, and jumped right in. And as soon as we'd finished one episode, it was sort of like, well, what do you want to do next? But a few things remain consistent. The goal, and that with each episode, we got a little bit better. We might be taking a break from putting up new episodes for a couple of months, but the work is just getting started. Consider this our metamorphosis. We are planning out and working on the entire next season, asking questions and going wherever the answers take us, and searching for the best guests that we can find to help us along the way as we transform ourselves and the show to be the best that it can be. If you stick around at the end of the episode, we'll give you a bit of a preview of things to come, and I hope you enjoy. What he's trying to say is that we've been caterpillars and we're going to become beautiful butterflies. Yeah, uh, Richard, I, I think they probably get the metaphor. Oh, sure, but, you know, just in case someone didn't, you know, catch that. This is Devin. And Richard. And this is a Wildlife. First off, he's real cute. So, to make the thing, looks like he's, like, twerking his whole body. Okay, so earlier this week, I sent around a video... And I asked people to record some of their reactions. Okay, so number one, I don't think I've ever watched this fully. Wait, wait, so what are they looking at? Uh, well, let's see. Um, right about at this point, it's a time-lapse video. And, and right about here, there's this thick caterpillar. And each segment of its body is pretty much the same symmetrical pattern. Trimmed in yellow with a black tiger stripe reaching about halfway down, a bold white stripe, and a bold black line down the center. And then the same, but in reverse order, because it's, you know, symmetrical. And it's just sort of doing crunches, almost in a J shape, but it's just hanging there. Is it a monarch? Yeah. This is amazing. Absolutely crazy amazing. What's it doing? And I'm rather jealous of the butter or the caterpillar's ability to do those little constant sit-up things to make the cocoon. Well, as it's hanging there, it's sort of, it just looks like it's sort of pulsing. But as it does, this green blob begins to form on the back near the head. And it just starts to form around the whole body. Here, you can start watching now. Weird. And before you know it, you can start to see the wings of the butterfly through the sides, and then it emerges. And then it just flies away, like like without even pausing. That's just insane to see. Starting at a young age, we're all introduced to this idea. Caterpillar uh, go build him on a cune, uh, uh, go make uh, him both fly. It's an idea that we can carry with us and adapt and reapply as a metaphor for our own lives. This idea of becoming something new and beginning again as something better. But behind this idea is a process. And despite our lifelong exposure, most don't really know exactly what's going on. Like the color change is what gets me. I don't understand how it goes from being a little, little yellow and white and black caterpillar and how that yellow white and black caterpillar turns into and it's orange it's orange where does the orange come from like wait i don't get it what i mean so the caterpillar forms its cocoon right and then it just sort of grows wings and changes see okay so i guess i don't entirely know what happens in the cocoon chrysalis what chrysalis 
Okay, so a cocoon is a case that's often constructed by silk, but a chrysalis, well, you know what, we'll get there in a few minutes. On today's episode, we are going to expose the mystery of metamorphosis. What happens inside of the chrysalis, whether or not a butterfly remembers or a caterpillar knows. We're going to destroy the metaphor and we're going to build it anew. But first, we have to start at the beginning. So start at the start. Yes, we are going to start at the start. Can I back up a little bit for the big picture? Who's that? Oh, that is our guest for the day. My name is Martha Weiss. She's a biology professor at Georgetown University. And I'm here in hot, humid Washington, D.C. And as she explains it, to understand metamorphosis and why it even happens in the first place, you first have to understand... Caterpillars and butterflies, of course, are the exact same animal, but Mm -hmm. they have totally different jobs in their life cycle. The caterpillar's job being to eat and eat and eat and eat the hungry caterpillar, you know? Eat, eat, and get fat. Whereas the butterfly's job? Is to reproduce and to disperse. And so part of what makes metamorphosis such a successful life history innovation is that each um, phase, the, the larval phase and the adult phase, can be totally specialized for their job. And each specialty requires different special parts. And it's that transformation between functions that's really taking place inside of the chrysalis. Okay, so you've said chrysalis a bunch of times now. Is that the same thing as the cocoon? Patience, Padawan. We're not there yet. And what happens prior to metamorphosis is that the caterpillar chugs along and does its job, and and it, it has larval stages, which are called instars or stadia, and um, it's an invertebrate, so just like a, a soft-shell crab or something, it molds, and it will shed its um, head capsule. Which is sort of like a bicycle helmet that it wears. And its skin, which is kind of a sleeping bag, and then it eats until its sleeping bag gets too tight and its bicycle helmet gets too tight, and then it will get rid of both of those, and there'll be bigger ones inside, and it'll fill those up until it gets big enough to undergo pupation. And they go through like five or so of these stages, eating and molting and eating and molting until? And then by the time the caterpillar gets pretty big um, at its last instar, um, there's a hormonal change. And there's a hormone called juvenile hormone that um, the levels of juvenile hormone drop and the levels of another hormone called ecdysone peak. And when the JH drops and the ecdysone peaks, then that triggers the caterpillar to enter what's called the pre-pupil phase. And this is where the fun begins. Wait, so it's all hormonal changes that start the whole thing? Yep. Like puberty? Pretty much. And what it does there is it empties its gut, it stops feeding. And it sort of just starts to wander until it finds a spot to form its chrysalis and begin the process of metamorphosis. Finally. Okay, so here's where I kind of have to tell myself a little bit. Last summer, I worked at a state park, and our intern used to raise monarchs, pretty much from caterpillar to butterfly, all the time, all summer. And I'd sit there, and I'd, and I'd watch them do what they're doing in this time lapse here, you know, forming the chrysalis and, you know, eventually becoming a, a butterfly and, and all of that. How fast is it in person? It, it's actually pretty fast, just a couple of minutes. Really? Yeah. I was pretty shocked the first time I saw it. But see, like in the video, you start to see this green patch form and slowly spread around and up the body, sort of bulging outward. And see, I always thought that they used some sort of like, I don't know, silk or, or secretion to do this, but I was way off. So what do they use then? It comes from the inside. What? Yeah. So if it was an outside silk case or something like that, then yeah, that that would be something called a cocoon. But instead, well, you know how they molt? Yeah. Okay, so here's where it's kind of freaky. There isn't anything growing around the body. Rather, the last layer of that larval skin begins to peel away right at the head. And it just unzips around the whole body. It's where the caterpillar is anchored with silk. That casing 
that green blob you see revealed, it's already beneath the skin. Cool, but really creepy. Right? Well, what's it made out of? Martha doesn't know for sure. Uh, She said... I guess it is chitin. Which is what uh, most insect bodies are made out of. By the way, it is chitin. Did you look it up? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, now we know. So, yeah, so so it's chitin, and at first it's really soft, and then it hardens up. And that's the stage of life that we would call the pupae. Metapod used harden. Yes. Okay, so then what happens? Because I've heard that the caterpillar basically just melts away and somehow reforms. See, so have I. And I've always found that incredibly, incredibly fascinating. Because then it's like, how does something reform after melting, right? And in fact, I was in a class before where we cut into a chrysalis with a scalpel. And it basically started to just ooze. This sort of thickened liquid, like a brown liquid with coffee grounds in it. Depending on the species, I've heard that that might be white or yellow, whatever, but no caterpillar. It's certainly not like on a bug's life where you just have this caterpillar sort of just popping out wings, but you see, I've also held a pupae before, and I've had it twitch around and move in my hand. So clearly not everything's gone, right? There's got to be something in there allowing it to move. So I asked Weiss, if I were to shrink down and climb inside, what would I see? It's kind of in between the two. Much of the larval tissue does in fact melt away. The stuff that the butterfly won't be needing. Certain muscles and body parts disintegrate, and the cells all die through this process that's called programmed cell death. And that's what forms this soup or broth so what is left of the caterpillar in that broth well there are some parts that remain which sort of just get reinvented reimagined like what so for example the the um the midgut the intestine is Mm -hmm. pruned and changed because the the diet of the caterpillar is leaves, 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 and so they need a a nice long gut to be able to get the food value out of all the leaf material that's passing through their gut. But the butterfly generally drinks nectar, so they need a different gut morphology. And they have to breathe still, right? So The way that a caterpillar and a butterfly breathes is through these things that are called tracheal tubes. So there are little tiny holes in the sides of the caterpillar that... Um, have little tiny uh, silvery tubes that that go toward the inside and ramify inside the tissues, and they deliver oxygen, gaseous oxygen in the air to the cells inside. So the butterfly is going to need tracheal tubes also, but the destinations are going to be different. So the wing muscles are going to need a lot of oxygen. So the tracheal tubes are going to um, expand around where the where they're going to provide. Um, oxygen to the wing muscles, and of course the wings are going to develop. Okay, but what about the rest of the body? There isn't much or any goo when it emerges, so where does it go? Ah, that's where the metaphor gets even better. So when a caterpillar hatches out of its egg, just from the very earliest days, there's some tissue inside of it that is that the, these little areas of tissue are called imaginal discs. Imaginal disc little pairs of cells that have a particular destiny. And they're little areas of cells that are not yet differentiated, but they are going to become adult structures. And as the caterpillar goes about its business using... Is its caterpillar machinery to eat and get bigger. These cells are just lying in wait. Biding their time. And at that same time, those hormonal changes begin as the caterpillar begins to wander before forming its chrysalis, these imaginal discs, they begin to differentiate. They begin to become what they were meant to be. In some species, if you were to cut beneath the caterpillar's skin, beneath where the chrysalis will eventually form, you can start to see little wing buds forming. And these little little bits of tissue that are destined to become wings or antennae or compound eyes that are sitting around waiting Um, until 
the time is ripe, and then they'll start developing. So we have programmed cell death of the larval stuff that we don't need anymore, and then we have proliferation and differentiation of the imaginal discs to start building the wings and the antennae and the compound eyes and the the long legs and all of those things that the caterpillar is going to need. So that's all going on inside the chrysalis um, hidden from our view. So, in a way, it's like the butterfly they'd one day become was inside from the beginning. Yeah, and the goo? It's like a super nutritious broth of ingredients that basically are just used to build the new parts. Okay, yeah, so that that does make oh, the whole metaphor better. I know, right? It's like, don't you see? You've had it in you all along. That's pretty fascinating. How how long does it take, the whole process of reinvention? So it depends on the generation. Um, sure. So for the butterflies that I'm most familiar with, the silver-spotted skippers, um, I can tell you that it takes them uh, about 12 and a half days. So so a couple weeks. Once, once sure. they pupate before they emerge as butterflies. But So that's that would be the generation... You know, so we have caterpillars, we have the butterflies show up in June, and then um, we have two we have three generations here. so right? So there'll be two um, pupil phases in the summer generations, and then in the fall, those caterpillars will pupate, and then they will hunker down for seven months. So they'll hunker down in um, October, November. And they'll emerge in May. So those guys are, um, if they emerged in two weeks in the beginning of December, that would really be kind of a bad strategy because um, there would be nothing for them to eat and nothing for their uh, babies to eat. So they, sure. they enter a winter diapause. So for temperate butterflies or moths, there generally mm-hmm. is, um, uh, there'll, there'll be a different, duration, a different pupil duration depending on when we're talking about. So the guys in the summer when there's plenty of food around for both the caterpillars and the butterflies, they try to pump out as many generations as they can and then um, they need to to sort of button up shop and hunker down for the winter so that they can then emerge in the spring. I, I will say that not all Butterflies overwinter as pupae. Butterflies can overwinter as butterflies and moths can overwinter as eggs, as caterpillars, as oh, wow. pupae, or as adults. Or like the monarch from the time lapse video, they migrate to a pine filled mountainous region of Mexico every winter. What triggers their emergence? Is it a hormonal thing there too? Uh, that's a great question, and I honestly don't know the answer to that question hormonally. I expect that there is some. Hormonal pulse, or uh, either either an increase in some hormone or a decrease in some hormone that triggers um, eclosion, but I don't know sure. exactly what the what what the hormone uh, signal is. Okay, all right. What are you thinking? Well, I've always been curious. After going through such an intense change, where much, I guess not all, but much of you dissolved into goo, what remains? Is a butterfly like a blank slate? Or do they remember? Richard? Yeah? I've wondered the same thing for my entire life. And that is exactly why I reached out to Martha Weiss. Because she knows. She's tested it. How do you even test that? So what we did was we trained caterpillars to avoid an odor. Now the way they did it sounds a little bit mean. Sounds a little bit sadistic, but she assured me that it was a lot less awful sounding for them than it would be for maybe us. What she did was she exposed the caterpillars to a gas. And then after doing so... We gave the caterpillars a mild electric shock. Eight times. So that they could develop a a real aversion to that odor. And after that, they put the caterpillars in a maze called a Y-tube, which is exactly like it sounds. We've got one long branch and then the two branching off portions. 
and the portions that branch off, one of them was filled with that gas, the one that they had already been exposed to. The other one had clean air. 100% of the time, the guys that had been shocked in association with the odor chose the arm of the tube that just had clean air. They avoided the odor. The caterpillars chose the side with clean air. And I've got to give them credit on this. I'm all about looking for confounding variables and where things might have interfered with an experiment or making sure that things were taken into account. And they really covered their bases. And I should um, back up and say that we did um, preliminary tests to see how they felt about about the odor because if they hated the odor originally, then it would have been hard to figure out that they were having an association with the the electric shock, right? Turned out that it was 50-50, that half the caterpillars went one way and half the caterpillars went the other way. They seemed not to, to find the odor particularly distasteful at all. They tried it all sorts of different ways to make sure that it was controlled. If we just shocked them, it was 50-50. If they were exposed to the odor after being shocked, it was 50-50. And so it was only the ones that we gave the odor, and then while they were smelling the odor, they got the shock that avoided the odor arm. Then, five weeks later, when they emerged, we tested the moths in the same Y-tube. And what they found? The moths that had learned to avoid the odor as caterpillars still avoided it as adults. Implying that they remembered. Yeah, but is that memory memory or is that reflexive muscle memory? Well... That's a good question, and, and I guess my response is, I mean, really, what is a memory? I mean, I'd, I'd count them as the same. I mean, when I smell salmon, I want to throw up because I had bad food poisoning over a year ago. It's sort of primal and reflexive, but it is a memory. It might not be some sort of higher thought, like me thinking about my childhood or, you know, the, the typical therapy. What were your parents like? You know, that sort of a thing. But it, it's still a memory. Good point. Can they measure this with any other senses? Well, no. And there's a few reasons for that. If you think about your other senses, hearing, eh, that's a little difficult to test uh, between the two because parts are different. Same with vision. Caterpillars have really, really simple vision, pretty much can only detect changes in light, whereas Butterflies and moths have very complex vision. They've got compound eyes, and they can see a wide variety of the visible spectrum. So comparing between the two would be pretty difficult. Touch is also a little bit different. The reason that we chose a, a gaseous odor was because we wanted to be super careful not to have something inside the caterpillar's gut that when the chrysalis, um, when the when the moth emerged from the chrysalis that there could be some meconium or some smell that would trigger that memory. So we wanted to have an ephemeral odor. We didn't want to have anything that was on their body or in their body that could potentially trigger the memory. So that's why we chose a, 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 a gas. The one that remains fairly consistent is smell. Okay, and got to ask this for a friend. All right, yeah. So does a caterpillar know what it's doing when it forms a chrysalis, that it will become a butterfly? I, I would be very surprised if a caterpillar thought, okay, this is my last meal as a caterpillar. I, I'm <laughs> going to really enjoy this leaf because I'm, I'm going to go to sleep, and when I wake up, I'm going to be flying, and it's, you know, it's going to be flowers <laughs> and sunshine for me. I, I think that they're just I – think, I think that – Biology and physiology are chugging along, and I, I don't think it has any self-awareness of um, what's about to happen. And mm -hmm. um, uh, in the other direction, I don't think that a moth or a butterfly can sit around on a leaf on a on a nice afternoon and think back to when it was a caterpillar. I think that um, they're, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're, I don't think they're thinking back to the good old days. I don't think they're remembering um, back when they were munching away on that milkweed leaf. I, I think that mm -hmm. they're, they're living in the present. That's my, sure. that's my hunch. Which honestly, it sort of just strengthens the metaphor even more, you know, thinking about mindfulness, being in the present, not thinking about the past or, or the future, or dwelling on anything, just existing. 
Okay, okay. Metamorphosis is all about preparing for the next stage of life, and it's mind-blowing, don't get me wrong. But I mean, why do butterflies have such a weird technique? Well, the truth is, it's really not all that uncommon. In fact, that's an understatement. It turns out that complete metamorphosis is the most common life history strategy of any animal on Earth. Think about it like this. So most animals are insects. Um, so we have more insect species and individuals than any other kind of animal. Something like 10 quintillion insects on the planet. Most animals are insects. Most insects ha undergo complete metamorphosis. So most animals are, in fact, insects that undergo complete metamorphosis. And if we throw in the, um, the non-insect arthropods that also undergo metamorphosis, well, let's just even stick with the insects. Um, insects that undergo complete metamorphosis are the most speciose animals on the planet because it's an incredibly successful life history strategy. People are pretty comfortable with the idea that a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. But it turns out that ants and um, wasps and bees all undergo complete metamorphosis. Flies do. So a maggot is exactly analogous to a caterpillar. Think about little weird larvae before they become beetles. You should see a ladybug one. I'm telling you, it looks like a black and orange alligator. So the adults generally have wings. The, the larvae never have wings. And then there's a transitional phase in between. But it's a super efficient and effective life history strategy. What I don't understand is why is it so efficient and successful to have to spend so much time and energy transforming like that? It seems just insufficient. You've got to really zoom out to really appreciate it. Metamorphosis came about about 200 million years ago, and it's been so prolific for a handful of reasons. And honestly, you have to think about the energy spent in context. Think about it like this. You're an insect that has a relatively short life. You have to lay a lot of eggs to ensure the species survives, to ensure that you can pass on your genes. If you had to care for each one of those eggs, bring them food, things like what, well, like what we have to do, it would be incredibly inefficient when you're considering energy. What they've basically done with metamorphosis is they've divvied up the responsibility. You can kind of think of a caterpillar like a human embryo that's just existing outside of the womb and taking care of itself. It's eating, it's finding shelter, all of those things by itself before basically putting itself back in the womb and coming out as a, well, full-grown human or ready-to-go baby. When you put it that way, it seems more sufficient than live birth. All organisms, all animals, and, and plants for that matter, um, undergo development from a single cell, right? So we have an mm -hmm. egg and a sperm fuse, and we, that's one cell, and then that one cell undergoes an amazing process of differentiation and turns into us, or a rose bush, or a mushroom, or whatever it is. Um, so... There's a lot of cell division and differentiation that is amazing in and of itself. But what is so cool and what I think really grabs people about complete metamorphosis is that we have a free-living individual like a caterpillar or a maggot or a grub or whatever it is. And then that thing, which is wandering around and taking care of itself and eating and doing its own stuff, then um, hunkers down and undergoes a second development, and so it sort of reinvents itself. And I think that part of the reason that metamorphosis is such a, a powerful metaphor for people is that we can identify with the caterpillar, and we're crawling around and doing our own thing, and then we can still change ourselves and something mm -hmm. else um, so, so we're not just a, a little tiny egg that has no agency of our own. We, and I think the fact that the, the seeds of the transformation are present in the caterpillar is also kind of a powerful piece yeah. of the, the potency of the metaphor. And so admittedly, this episode is also a bit of a plug for the field of entomology. And here's part of why. So a few days ago, I got a message on Instagram from someone in Germany 
and it was 2 a.m. there, and they were freaking out because they had these little white insects, these little 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 tiny creatures in their flat, and they didn't know what they were, and they wanted to know if they could harm them, and they sent me the video, and here you have these these curled up little white creatures that sort of do this flicking motion and just shoot out of the camera view. Now, those are something called a springtail, and they, they thrive in moist environments. And just, just an aside on springtails, they're so interesting because they can fling themselves with their little tail, which is why they're called a springtail. The equivalent of if, say, I was standing next to the Eiffel Tower and decided to just jump over it. And completely harmless. But many people, they see a bug, and the first thing they think is, is this going to hurt me? Is it venomous? What's going to happen to me? With metamorphosis, everyone knows that butterflies and moths do this, but they don't think about all of the other insects on the planet that do the same exact thing. And it's equally as fascinating for each of these other creatures. Each of these other creatures that have a whole armory of interesting facts and interesting lifestyles that you could learn about. So it's also sort of just a drawing a connection between these insects that people see as beautiful and peaceful and graceful and all the other ones that are honestly on the same level, might not look as pretty, but they're just as interesting. There's an awful lot of uh, metamorphic insects out there and um, keep your eyes open because there's a lot of caterpillars and maggots and grubs and and things chomping away and, and then they're hunkering down and, and these winged adults are emerging and, and watching, seeing and finding and watching the transformation is a, a little treasure hunt that we can all participate in as we're walking around outside. You know, mm -hmm. there are a few insects that sting or bite, but most of them are just going about their own business, eating plants or eating other little bugs or... Uh, pollinating or whatever it is that they're doing and and they have no interest in bugging us and um, you know I, I can think of nothing more pleasant to do oh, hey would you look at that a monarch landed on your mic stand no you, you know what that that's a viceroy butterfly oh man come on no, I'm a beautiful monarch. Just look at my wings. Yeah, I, I am. That Exactly. You, you've you got a black stripe right there on your hind wing, just like a viceroy. Other than that, your mimicry, it's, it's nearly flawless. <laughs> mimicry? Why would I need to mimic anything? I'm a monarch. Wait, I know this. Um, uh, monarchs are toxic because they eat milkweed, so viceroy is somehow adapted to look similar to them to warn off predators, even though they aren't toxic themselves. Guys, come on. I'm so toxic. You know what? Sorry. Not buying it. I'm with him. You know what, boys? I'm going to level with you. I'm not a monarch. I'm undercover in a sting operation. A cover I've been in since birth, and you're trying to blow. So you know what? I'm going to bounce. Oh, look at that. See how she's flying away like that? All kind of erratically. See, if she was a monarch, it'd be more of like a like a beep beep glide, but she's not, so. And now, it is time for Animal Sound of the Week. Last episode's Animal Sound of the Week was... A baby alligator. Wasn't it so cute? Okay. This week's sound, because it's our finale, we're going easy with it. Anyone who lives in the north especially, this shouldn't be hard from you, and you've got no reason, no excuse, not to guess. And if you get it right, I think I think uh I think this time we will actually give out a pretty decent prize. We'll give a the wildlife coffee mug. A ceramic mug. Okay, okay, here's the sound. Okay, Richard, are you, are you going to try? See, I would, but I'm 20 years old and I can't whistle. Oh, oh, 
Oh. Okay. Well, okay. That that's okay. That's okay. Sorry. <laughs> As always, send us your guesses on Facebook for a chance to win that coffee mug. Coffee mug. Coffee mug. Remember, if you have questions for us that you want, nay, need answered, especially now that we're working on the next season, you can submit your questions by sending us a Facebook message at the Wildlife Blog or by clicking the green Ask TWL button on the front page of the website, the Wildlife Blog, or... You know what? You can always send me a message on Instagram at Devin the Nature Guy or by using the hashtag AskTWL. There are no such thing as bad or dumb questions. The whole of human knowledge came to be only after millions and millions of wrong guesses, near misses, and a ton of failure. So never be afraid to ask. Instructions on how to submit your questions can be found at the wildlife.blog forward slash podcast. The wildlife is listener, reader, and viewer supported and can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you believe in what we're doing, you can show your support by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash the wildlife. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash the wildlife. Be sure to check out our Patreon page soon. We'll be adding some other things like video and a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. But when you become a patron, you'll also gain exclusive access to content and have the opportunity to appear on our show to ask questions or help read the credits. For sources and a more in-depth look at what we've talked about today, check out the wildlife.blog. As always, if we've made a mistake or got something wrong, please let us know with a quick message and we'll do our best to correct it. Special thanks to Dr. Martha Weiss for talking with us about her research, to Molly Smith, Alicia, and Chris Trankel for being patrons. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store and share it with your friends. As far as a special look, a special snippet at next season, I'm not going to give away too much yet. Not yet. Instead, I'm just going to say a series of random words left up to your own interpretation. Stampede. Asteroid. The powerhouse of the cell. Colonies lanternfish, and so much more. Again, thank you so much for listening to the first season of The Wired Life. We'll be back. See you next season.